Well, good evening. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so, in preparation for tonight, I asked Vicki if I could do something kind of weird. <laughs> and I really I said, I really think it's the Lord. <laughs> and she's like, well, okay. And uh, then I had her kind of help me narrow down uh, what I was going to do tonight. Uh, the Lord said... We were supposed to start off the night a little bit lighthearted and fun. And it's easy to come to a conference like this and think, okay, I'm going to get ready to take notes and, and listen to this good talk. But I think it's also really fun to just do something lighthearted that reminds us that, that we're not the only person in the room, that actually there's a ton of us here that, that we all come from similar backgrounds. We have things that, that we can relate to to one another. And so... I, I felt like the Lord said, uh, even during worship, just this theme of like, I want to wake, wake up my daughters. I'm going to wake them up. And, and I was going to actually have you all get up and dance, but I, don't worry, I'm not going to make you do that. <laughs> Vicky's like, maybe not. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell some fun little quips, um, some fun little jokes. Um, they're just sayings. They are from uh, this Instagram that I, that I follow, this feed that I follow called Rad and Happy. And she's a letterer. She's a letter, handwriting letterer. And so she does these really cute little sayings. And I know that you've probably heard some of them before. Uh, but it's just nice to giggle a little bit, right? It's just nice to let down our hair and just remember, you know, to take things a little bit not so seriously sometimes. So, okay, I got, goodness, quite a few. They're none, they're, none of them are really related. There's a lot of them that have to do with pants. I don't know why, but it's, it's just kind of funny. Okay, are you ready? First one's about pants. What size pants do you wear? The answer is leggings. <laughs> do you realize they have jeans now that are leggings? Do you know what's holding up these pants right now? It's just elastic. Yes, it's amazing. It's like maternity pants, but, but cooler. Um, okay, why, why buy it for $7 when you can make it with $92 of craft supplies? That is so my life, Pinterest, ah! Oh! <laughs> I never have the time either. Okay, I have a condition that prevent, prevents me from going on a diet. It's called hunger. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay, bestie status, so your best friend's status. When you don't worry about how nasty your house is when they come over. Yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> yep. Okay, it has been a long week, so said of me on the middle of a Tuesday. Yes. Uh, I'm going to bed early tonight for sure, I tell myself. And it's midnight, dang it. <laughs> every night, every night. I hate to cancel. I know we made plans to get together tonight, but that was two hours ago. And I was younger then, and I was full of hope. <sighs> I love, so true. Okay. <clears throat> Headed to Target. See you in about 150 bucks. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, that one hurts. Okay. You'll never realize how lame you are till someone asks you what you like to do for fun. <laughs> Take a nap. I don't know. That sounds good. Spends $30 to avoid $5 on shipping. Right? How many of us do that? Okay, sometimes I lay down to do crunches, 
and I accidentally take a nap instead. <sighs> I love it. so true. As long as everything is exactly the way I want, I am totally flexible. <laughs> uh, my hairstyle is called, I have kids and you're lucky I'm wearing pants. <laughs> I like that. I am a minimalist trapped in the body of a hoarder. Yeah, oh yeah. No one eats faster than a mom who doesn't want to share. That's a good one. Hold on, hold on. I've got to overthink about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> By Friday, my hair is 90% dry shampoo. That's so true. It is so true. That, good, that is good stuff. Patience is what you have when there are too many witnesses. Ooh. <laughs> Very true. My swimsuit told me to go to the gym, but my sweatpants were like, nah, girl, you're good. <laughs> I love it. <clears throat> the joy of self-checkouts. I can now buy ice cream and tampons without being judged. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so true. Okay, that's, that's all I had. Just, uh, just fun to laugh a little bit because you know what? We're women and we're in this crazy world together. Well, I really love the title this year for our conference, Transforming Grace. And the desire for transformation is something I think, again, we can all, we can all get. We all, we all understand that. It's something we long for. And I think it's probably why a lot of us attend therapy or go you know, join a, a fitness club or recovery groups or we read those self-help books or we attend motivational seminars or make New Year's resolutions. Because the possibility of transformation really is the essence of hope. It's the essence of hope. Psychologist Aaron Beck says that the single belief most toxic to a relationship is the belief that the other person can't change. How true is that? There's hope when there's a possibility for growth. So I want to talk about just these two words, just because I'm the first one who's speaking and I get to. <laughs> I want to talk about what transform, transformation is and what grace is. And so first, just right off the bat, what is transformation? And for us and, and as Christians, transformation really is becoming more like Jesus Christ, right? That's what transformation is. And in the Bible, the, the word that is used for transformation is metamorpho. And... Uh, that's where we get the word metamorphosis. Now, Paul alludes to this in his writings, first in the process by which an embryo is formed in the mother's womb, and we see it in Galatians 4.19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is metamorpho, formed in you. And then again, Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be metamorpho, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approved, approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now obviously metamorphosis uh, in English is that process of change from like our picture from like seed to flower or from caterpillar to butterfly. We see this in nature everywhere. To emerge eventually changed beyond recognition. And if that's true, then what Nancy has prayed tonight, that we would all walk out of here changed, that our husbands would, when we come home, would be like, there's something different about you. Something has shifted. Something's changed. And that's what we hope for. 
this weekend. But with transformation comes this great debate, what part do I play? What part do I play? What role does God play? Is it a passive or is it an active process? What role does grace have in transforming to become more like Jesus? And this is the reason why the, the title, obviously transformation is small and grace is big. We did that on purpose because the conference focuses isn't as much on change as it is on grace. Because when we get it the other way around, naturally, when we, when we look at change and we think, okay, I want to change, I want to become better, I want to grow, it's so easy to, in our flesh, take that over and just run with it, Right? But when the, when the focus is on grace, it's, it, it allows us to realize that there's, there's something else at play here. There's a change that, that has to happen through grace alone that I can't do on my own. And honestly, when we get it the wrong way around and we start to force it and we try harder and we try to take it on ourselves to, to become better and to transform, we, we usually get really exhausted we get exhausted, we get tired really quickly, and, and we, we start to, to think, man, I, I don't know if I'm checked out to be somebody who's going to be different. I think I'm just going to stay the same. This is too hard. Well, let's look at what grace is. I've been on this little mini quest, uh, that's the last year, and, and maybe that's just more of a glamorous word, maybe more of a request, a request of God to understand what grace is. And I've been praying that a lot lately. God, would you show me what your grace is? And uh, I know it's a word that we use a lot in the church. If you've been around the church for a while, grace is a word we use a lot. And, and outside of the world, outside, or outside the church, uh, grace means it's like a permission to let somebody off the hook, right? You know, you use the, oh, give them some grace. You know, let them off the hook. Give them some, some grace. But inside the church, we use the word grace all the time for so many different kinds of things that it can start to feel kind of confusing as to what, what, is, what is grace again? You know, what is grace? And as I have kind of scoured through definition upon definition of, of what is grace, and boy, there's a lot, uh, there's this one that I, that I stumbled across that I just love. And it's from Michael Horton, and he says this, In grace, God gives nothing less than himself. Grace, then, is not a third thing or a substance mediating between God and sinners, but it is Jesus Christ in redeeming action. I like that. Now, that starts to bring some clarity to what grace really is. It's as though it's a, a verb, like Jesus is Jesusing. You know, it's, it's grace is, is him in action, him in redeeming action. Grace is... God's continued and active presence in our lives to do what we can't do on our own. Grace is God choosing to give himself to us undeservingly rather than remove his presence as our sin deserves. So grace is giving of himself. It is the one thing, it is one thing to tweak or try to control our external behaviors but it is another to experience those internal seismic shifts that change, that change the way that we exist in the world. That kind of change is something that only God can do by his grace. I believe that it's God's job, God's job and not our job, to complete the transforming work in our lives. 
It is our, our jobs just to solely be surrendered to him. It's a position of receiving and responding to his grace, not a position of initiating. And that is a huge relief. Is that a huge relief for anyone here? That you don't have to try harder, right? That when we really understand the role of grace that it has in our lives, that we can actually start to live out of that place, that it can bring more freedom and more peace and more joy. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we just long for that. We long for uh, to understand more and to live out of that place of grace, God. Just relying and trusting in your redeeming action in our lives, not ours, not ours. And I praise you that the onus is on you. And would you wake us up to the ways in our lives tonight that we have just been on autopilot doing it all ourselves. God, would we relinquish the right Would we say yes to you tonight? And would we say, God, I think you might have a better way to do this, to to work in my life, to, to transform and produce change in me. And so we just ask and we say, God, we are willing. And we want more of you here tonight. God, would you put power on my words? And and I as always, Lord Jesus, would you be revealed in your precious son's name. Amen. Okay, so this weekend, we're looking at the life of David, and we're looking at um, God's redeeming action or grace in his life, and I want to just ask the question briefly, why do we look at characters in the Bible? Why do we look at their lives? And that's a rhetorical question, but um, I know that stories like David's can be one to kind of illuminate and maybe show us our flaws, uh, what not to do, especially later on in his life, (laughs) But when they succeed, sometimes these characters show us how to live, which is good. But we need to remember that every story in the Bible is primarily first and foremost about God, not about us first. And when we know that and when we see that, that really through the lens and we, as we learn about David's life and not through the lens of ourselves, but through the lens of, of God, what are we going to learn about God in this story it becomes more than just a bunch of information. Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I get tired of just hearing information. And I can, I can live this life, you know, reading the next great book and, and you know, reading the new cool blog and, and just ingesting all this information all the time. And it just makes me tired. What I long for is real transformation. And so when we see these stories and when we see David's life through the lens of God, who are you? And we remember it's first and foremost about him, about revealing who he is. It actually gives us the power for change. And it's no longer about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And I know we got to learn this little tidbit from David's life, but it actually shows us who God is. And I think that's an important place to start before we dive into tonight's passage. And So let's go ahead and read. If you want to open up to 1 Samuel 16, we're going to go through 1 through 7 first. And we have Bibles on either side of the stage if you'd like them. And I'm I'm just going to read this for us. 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 7. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at God first, and then we're going to look at what that means for us. So the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. 
I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about this, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Now Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived to Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they asked him, "Um, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, so consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And when he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is the first point. is What we see about God is that we see that he's a God that looks at our hearts. Looks at our hearts. What you don't realize is right before this, when you look at the life of Saul, Saul had been the king that everybody wanted. He was, it was said that he was a head taller than everyone else. He was like the William Wallace, the brave heart of Jerusalem at the time. And he was handsome. He looked the part. And they wanted him because he was this imposing, large, muscular man, obviously kingly. And soon after, he went through a series of character failures and it ended up disqualifying him as king. And, and God said, you know what? I reject him. <coughs> So Samuel comes on the scene, and he's crying. You see that he's grieving that Saul hadn't been the king after God's heart that he had hoped. So Samuel lets Jesse know that God's going to anoint this new king, and he lines up his sons, and Samuel does it again. He sees Eliab, the tall, handsome, strong man, and thinks, boy, well, that must be him. And in Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, 1, 6, he says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And that's so easy for all of us to do, right? We're, we are prone, let alone our culture is prone, to make snap judgments all the time based on what we look like, right? It's reading the book by its cover before reading, before reading the actual book. Our culture spends enormous amounts of time, money, and effort keeping up with that illusion of beauty and success. And images are so powerful. And actually, I think that's why Instagram is far surpassing Facebook at this time, too. Because images speak so much more than just words. You look at advertising and and what it does, how it blasts these images of what the world says is so-called perfection. And and we can't but help start to try to compare ourselves with that. Martin Luther King Jr. had, of course, his famous quote. And this applies to all of us no matter what the color of our skin. But he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God says to Samuel, when are you going to learn? The outside doesn't matter a bit. Money, beauty, power, stature, size. 
It's character and it's substance and it's the spirit and the heart that matters to the Lord. And David himself came to know this too later on in his life. And we read it in one of the songs that he wrote. In Psalm 139, 23 through 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. David knew what was important. And he didn't ask for the external. He asked for God to sift his heart. What we don't know about ourselves can and will hurt us, not to mention others. And as long as we stay in the dark about how we see the world, the wounds and the beliefs that have shaped who we are, we'll continue to live this life on autopilot. Eventually, we'll become so accustomed to making the same mistakes over and over in our lives that they will lull us to sleep. We need to wake up to what's going on inside of us. Frederick Buchner says this, the true self gets buried so deep that most of us end up hardly living out of it at all. Instead, we live out of the other selves, which, are constantly, which we are constantly putting on and taking off like coats and hats against the world's weather. Mm. That's good. It is not about looking or playing our part, appearing to be something we're not. It's not about how many verses of scripture that we read a day, and it's not about how many minutes we spend in prayer. Those tasks only create opportunities for God to work. And when we get the second things first and the first things second, and we mix things around in order, it it starts to really do a work on us. We must put him first. We cannot settle for just being informed and conformed. We need to be transformed. What kind of people are we becoming? Are we oriented and moving toward loving God more and loving others more? Because that's what God says is the most important thing. Are we becoming more like the people that God has created us to be? Are we new creations, more beautiful and less prone to selfishness and self-pity? Uh, vanity and less sensitive to criticism, less anxious and wiser, less concerned with how life goes in its circumstances. Those are the kind of things that only God, by his grace, can change within us. And, And it's only by his power alone that we can see that kind of change in our lives. Now, the second thing that we see in this passage about God is that God chooses the forgotten He chooses the forgotten. And in 1 Samuel 16, 8 through 11, it says, When Jesse called Abinadad and had him pass in front of Samuel, Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass by before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, and he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Now, Jesse has the same problem that Samuel did. He only brings seven of his sons. David is not even a thought as far as Jesse is concerned. And one after one, 
all of his sons are rejected, leaving Samuel completely perplexed. And when he actually says there is still the youngest, the, the word there uh, in Hebrew actually means the runt of the litter. Oh, gee, thanks, Dad. <laughs> thanks, Dad. <laughs> the literal, that's the literal rend- rendering of that word youngest. And then when Samuel says, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives, what he's actually saying is, we're going to stand and we're going to wait because it's a posture of honor. It meant that you were in the presence of a king, a prince, or a princess. And the prophet says, now stay on your feet. The king is coming. You imagine his brother standing around going, why are we standing and who are we waiting for? (laughs) David? Really? Now this is the one, God says. This is the one I choose. God exalts people we would least expect. In the Bible, we always see a reversal of the world's values. God chooses the second, and he chooses the oldest, not the oldest, but the youngest, or he chooses the unlovely or the unwanted to bring about his salvation. Now, David's not the oldest, and he's not the seventh son, which is actually a position of honor. He's the eighth son, and he's not even there at all. They've completely forgotten him. And I don't know about you, but this kind of reminds me of the story of Cinderella a little bit, doesn't it? And I wonder sometimes why that story of Cinderella has kind of stood the test of time. Is it because she's pretty? Is it because she's royalty? What draws us to her the most is that she is beautiful and she has no idea. She is so unassuming, so humble, so characterized by the lack of entitlement and narcissism. She has no clue. She's content to stay at home and do the household chores while everyone else goes to the dance. And here's David. He's tending the sheep and everyone else has been invited to the party except for him. And he's taking care of family business in this dirty and lonely place with the sheep. And David, or Robert Alter actually says this. He said, David is the male, is kind of a male Cinderella, left to do the domestic chores instead of being invited to the party. And, and what's interesting is that that story, plus a lot of other stories, a lot of other fairy tales, something inside of us longs to believe that, there, that this world is not the whole story, right? And fairy tales... They're not just stories about the transformation of the world around us, but they're stories of transformation of these central characters. Frogs becoming princes, and ugly ducklings becoming swans, and wooden marionettes becoming real boys. We long for that kind of transformation in our lives as well. But sometimes it feels like it's all a little bit too good to be true. Really, does God really intend to choose me of all people? Does he really want to use me too? And I want to just say a little bit about what God has done in that regard in my life. I know some of you have heard a little bit of my story in in the sermons um, that I've been able to preach, but the part of my story that you don't know, which I'll fill you in on tonight, is very much true to the point that God chooses the forgotten and the unlikely. And I, I really believe that when I, when I read this passage, I'm like, boy, that's me. <laughs> that's me. Because if you knew me before uh, this stage, before being at VCDC, you would have probably looked right by me. I was this very unassuming leader. I didn't, 
uh, I wasn't doing anything really amazing. I was just being faithful to love the people that were in my group, and, and I really loved them a lot. And over that, um, that, that season of my life, um, in transition from, from the previous church I'd been to to this church, uh, I'd been in a really not-so-great season. I had stopped I'd actually stopped going to church. I'd stopped, um, you know, even going to small group. I had had a, a baby, which was kind of my, you know, excuse for why I couldn't go. Um, but I, I really just, I didn't want to be involved. I had been disillusioned with a lot of it. And when friends invited us here to this church, I thought, you know what? There's, there's probably going to be, it's going to be the same thing. Um, I'm going to just go, just kind of be in the background, be the wallflower, you know, and, and just do my thing. And if you know my story, a couple months in, the Lord called both my husband and I very clearly to this church. And uh, he was in here, and I was in the nursery. I was behind that felt wall in the nursery, you know, <laughs> where I was uh, holding my daughter. And, and the two of us both had the exact same word in the same service, that God was calling us here to this church. And, and it was the first thing that I'd really felt like the Lord had put his finger on and said, I want you to say yes to this, Heather. And he had given me a lot of grace. He had given me a lot of room to have my little um, rebellious fit during that season and to push back on everything. But uh, who would have known what he was about to do? Now, he did say two things. He said, I want you to start a small group, which is something I, again, had been pushing back on I didn't want to do. And then he wanted me to tithe again. And so here I am doing three things I hadn't been doing for a very long time. And I thought, well, that's enough, right? I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm leading a small group, I'm, you know, involved in the church now, and I thought, you know what, wow, God's really, God's really gotten me, uh, if I would have known what else he had in store. <laughs> so the part of the story you don't know is that um, just a couple months into uh, that event of knowing that God had called us here to this church, uh, something strange started to happen, and it was very strange, because if you knew me before, you would know that I'm not uh, attracted to shiny people. I really like the wallflowers. I like the people that are sitting in the back that feel alone and, and just disconnected because that's where I feel at home. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, let's just have this great deep conversation in the back. And, and I just, I really was never drawn to shiny people. And so what happened was every time Penny Meyer would walk by, my heart started to leap out of my chest in a way that was just starting to like really mess with me. I thought, boy, like, do I need to pray for her? Like, is there something going on in her life? And I, and I finally sat down with the Lord because it started to happen. Every time I saw Penny, I would just start, and I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I knew he was trying to get my attention. And so I finally sat down with the Lord and I said, okay, Lord, what is going on? Like, am I supposed to, you know, is there something I'm supposed to do here? Like, am I just supposed to pray for her? And I felt like this, this impression, like I was supposed to get to know her. And while that took every bit of, of my uh, ounce of strength I had to even admit that to my husband, which was really a stupid thing to do if you know my husband. He's the kind of person that's going to keep you accountable if you tell him something. And so when I said, hey, I know, every time I see Penny, I just, there's something in my chest that just like jumps out. I feel like it's the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, then you should go talk to her. I mean, duh, right? Like if it's the Holy Spirit, just go talk to her. And I said, well, no, 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 you know, you know me, you, you know me, man, like, I don't, I don't go after shiny people, and, and I'm sure she's busy, and I'm, she's a pastor, and I, you know, litany of excuses as to why I was not about to, like, go talk to this lady, and, which you're going to have a, a, just be fortunate enough to hear from, you know, tomorrow, 
But when I finally, um, I think it was literally probably that next weekend, Penny was actually preaching, and, and when she walked down off the stage, I got a big elbow in the side of my, my, uh, um, side of my rib cage, and, and I looked at Adam, and he said, there she is, just go talk to her. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 like, what would I say? I don't even know what, that my heart is pounding every time I see you, Penny. Like, what am I, I mean, come on, this is weird. And I really had not thought about what I would, what I would even say to her. I'm like, uh, hi, I'm Heather. I mean, I am the most awkward person sometimes. I'm like, this is going to be horrible. And somebody, somehow I got up and I walked over to her and it had taken her a while. I think it felt like a while for her to walk by me. And I said, hi, I'm Heather. And, and she said, oh yeah, I remember you. I'm like, right, you remember me, whatever. <laughs> and I said, I, I don't know. I just feel like the Holy Spirit has kind of just, just highlighted you and I'm supposed to get to know you. And I said, hey, could we, I don't know, get together sometime? And, and I really honestly assumed she'd be like, well, sure, you know, like, let's get it on the calendar and, you know, in six months, you know, or whatever, we can meet. But she looked me straight in the eyes and she said, I would love to. She said, how about you email me and we'll get a lunch date on the calendar in the next couple weeks. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I did that and I emailed her. And, and um, what you don't realize is that the what God had been doing in my life at that season was I was going through a Bible study on um, spiritual gifts. And I was, I was really, again, I was in this really rebellious season where I was just pushing back on everything. And, and everyone in my Bible study at that time knew what they thought my spiritual gifts were. And I wasn't about to admit what, what they were out loud. And here I am finally meeting with Penny and I sit down with her. And the first thing that comes out of her mouth is, so I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Tell me your story. What are your spiritual gifts? <laughs> Literally the first question that came out of her mouth, and I think I almost peed myself a little bit because I had never in my life actually said out loud what I thought my spiritual gifts were. And it scared me. It really scared me. And I thought, okay, I gotta get this out. I mean, she's just staring at me. She keeps looking at me. I think she really wants me to answer this question. And, and it seemed like time you know, slowed down and... And so I finally said, well, I think it's preaching, teaching, and encouragement, you know, encouragement. And, and uh, she said, really? Oh, that's great. And, and, and we had this great little lunch, and I got to know her a little better and hear her story and the story of the church a little bit more. And, and what was great is that she said, well, let's get together again. And, and so in a month's time, we, we got, you know, lunch together again at Panera. And I kid you not, the Lord has a sense of humor. The first question out of her mouth, I think she actually forgot, was, so remind me, what are your spiritual gifts? And I thought, this is the second time I'm going to actually have to say this out loud. And, and with a little bit more, you know, because I'd done it once before, I was like, huh, preaching and teaching and encouragement. And, and I just threw that out there. And, and she just grabbed a hold of it. And she said, well, then there's this class you need to take. And she just jumped on it and she said, I'm actually going to be taking a, a class with a PhD. Uh, she's a PhD in hermeneutics and she's teaching up in Michigan and you should go to that class too. Would you want to come with me? And I thought, there's uh, no way probably I could do that. What are you talking about? And she said, oh wait, well I remember you have a little one at home so that might be a little hard. And then she said, and it does cost a lot of money. And I'm like, oh yeah, no way. This is not happening. And when I got in my car, this is what happened. I sat in my car and I just had this really weird sadness, this really weird heaviness on my heart. And, 
And I sat there and I thought, God, what is going on? Like, why? Why do I feel this weight of just sadness? And I, I finally articulated it and I said, you know what? I actually think I'd really like to go to that class. I know that's just really weird. Like, why would I want to take that class? But, but I really feel like I'd want to take that class. And out of the, just the sweet stillness of, of that moment, the Lord said, then why don't you ask me? And I thought, oh boy. And I just started to cry. I was like, I don't ask for things a lot from you, God. And he's like, yep, great time to try, great time to start. And, and so on my way home, I just you know, muttered a prayer like, God, if, if you can make a way for me to go to this class, I, I would really like to attend that class. And um, within a couple months, I had a check in my hand for the exact amount of what it costs to go to that class. And I looked just, un, un, just unbelievingly at this check, and I knew I had to call Penny and ask her. Now, I knew there was only 10 slots available for this class, and they were probably all full, but there's some kind of boldness with that check in my hand going, this has never happened to me before, and going, oh my gosh, maybe God is answering my prayer. And, and so I called Penny thinking, oh, she'll call back tomorrow or something. In 15 minutes, she called me back, and she said, so funny you call. Yesterday, I had to cancel. I can't go to the class. You can have my spot. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going, I'm going. And here I am, a graphic designer with 10 other women who were either full-time at a church or nationally renowned speakers who were just, you know, brushing up a bit on their, you know, preaching styles. And, and I'm thinking, why am I here? Why am I here? Uh, this is really, I was eating it up. I was just eating it up. Everything that came out of her mouth, I was just, just eating it up. And then the hardest part happened was that two months later, we had to come back and actually give our first sermon. And what they didn't know is this was my first sermon. I had never preached in my entire life before. And that sermon ended up being uh, the first workshop I ever did at this church at a women's conference. And, and lo and behold, the Lord has just walked beside me in this, uh, this calling, these giftings that he's given me, and just, just proven himself over and over again and said, Heather, where you are weak, I can be strong. I can be strong. And if you are willing, if you are willing to say yes to me, uh, just look where I can take you. And um, I just, I know that this proves this point, that God chooses the most unlikely. Because there's no reason why I should be the one up here, other than the fact that I just simply said yes to God. And the last point I want to touch on as God empowers us for the journey ahead. And I know that you know, every time I, I see these points, I think, man, that's so true in my life. 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13. So he sent for him and, and had him brought in, and, and he was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel went to Ramah. The anointed are always given a promise. And that promise for David was, I will make you king. And then it was sealed with the Holy Spirit's presence. And if we don't put it into context, the fact that, that the spirit of God rushed on David, we are going to miss the point of his story. 
because we're going to start to assume that David was somehow intrinsically had this good heart, that he was just a really great guy, just sitting out there, you know, tending the fields. But he was just a kid, guys, just a kid. And what separated David from Saul was, was nothing more than the Holy Spirit's presence, because he had a heart that was no better than any of ours. We all need the Holy Spirit to become our true selves and to do what we are called to do. In scripture, whenever we see the word transformed, it's always us as the object of what is being transformed, not the agent of the transformation. The Holy Spirit is always the one doing the transforming on us. And that's important because we don't need to waste our time trying to accomplish anything apart from God's transforming grace in our lives. And anyone who says that they are trying to be better or trying to change or trying to be a good Christian is not really getting it. Because we need to simply give God consent to do for us what we've never been able to do for ourselves, namely bringing meaningful and lasting change into our lives. Now, at the end of this passage, what I want to point out is, what do you see in David's life? Does David march right into Jerusalem and take the throne? No. David's a kid, and he's sent right back to the fields from which he came. And here he has to wait patiently for years and years. David becomes a king after God's heart in the wilderness. Saul never went through what David went through. So when Saul came right into power, it seduced his heart. But David had to depend on God. He had to trust in the Lord in all those years of waiting. I'm going to finish the quote that I mentioned earlier. Robert Alter, David is a kind of male Cinderella left to the domestic chores instead of being invited to the party. But... The tending of his flocks for which he has been banished will give him exactly what he needs in the Goliath battle and later to lead his people. Oh, that's good. All those years of being rejected by his father and living a lonely life as a shepherd, those were critical for preparing David to be the kind of king who identified with the marginalized, who identified with the widows and with the fatherless because he himself had felt that too. And as soon as the spirit rushes on David, his life doesn't get magically better. He actually starts having javelins thrown at his head. He has to fight this really big giant. He gets a bounty put on his head and he's a fugitive in caves for about 10 years. But, but this is where he writes the songs that he sings to God. The Psalms that are so intimate, so transparent and so vulnerable The more you need him, the more you're with him, the more you become like him. And that's how our hearts are shaped in the presence of God. Now I want to leave, just end with this. It's easy. It's really easy to think, you know what, that's really great. You know, I'm glad that David was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And I'm glad that, you know, she is and she is and he is. But did you know that all of us are anointed? Every single one of us are anointed, and there is absolutely room for us in the kingdom of God. There is. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, 
sent his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You know, God has anointed us for a purpose and there is a calling on each one of our lives. And for those of us who have accepted Jesus into our hearts, he has given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit and a guarantee of what is to come. And so I want to say this. When you're looking at your calling and you're thinking about, well, God, what have you made me for? And what can I do? And how can I be used? Just be careful that it doesn't become a prettier version of striving again. Because it's so easy to do that. We always have to come back to that place of intimacy first, then dependency, and then doing the stuff, right? Obedience. And I want to end on this. Intimacy is something that flows out of a feeling of feeling wholly accepted just the way we are. Just, I want to say that again. Intimacy flows out of feeling wholly accepted just the way we are. But God does not want to leave us like that, does he? He wants to transform our lives. Real intimacy makes us feel alive. It's like we've been found, like David, Someone who took time to see us and to wait for us and to stand waiting for us to come. Think of the word intimacy as the word into me see. It's, it allows people to see us for who we really are. Because God has made us, he knows us better than anyone. And he can make us feel known in the way that no one else is able to on the face of this earth. I think that for us as women, all that God is asking us to do is say yes to him. To be women who are not living just for ourselves and not building our own kingdoms out of our own trying and out of our own effort, not seeking fame or making a name for ourselves, but gaining ground by being humble, gaining ground by being, being broken and weak and poured out just like our Savior did just like our Savior did. I want to end with this prayer. And it's from Thomas Merton, and it's probably one of my favorite prayers. And it's something that the Lord just highlighted as I was, I was finishing this talk up, and, and it's this. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going, and I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I even really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will doesn't even mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know anything about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. Amen. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Oh Lord, you know, you know, you know us, and you know what you're getting with us, God. <laughs> and if you still see fit, would you renew our minds? 
Would you give us vision? Would you give us your burdens and your heart? Would you start to interrupt our lives? Tell me where to go and tell me what to say. Who to encounter? What I will do is just simply say yes to you and yes to every door that you put in front of me and I will initiate nothing. And when I want to disqualify myself, let me remember it's good to be weak because it means that your strength can be made perfect in it. Let my weaknesses be what actually empowers me to be more dependent on you. Amen. Amen. Well, that started us off for tonight and giving us a glimpse of the beginning of David's story. And uh, we're going to take about a, a five-minute break here. And then when we come back, Vicki is going to uh, be sharing with us again about another pivotal moment in David's life. <laughs>